Hi, everybody. I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome to 15-Minute Film Fanatics. This is a podcast that, in which we watch movies separately or re-watch movies that we've seen before, but we talk about it for the first time on the show. Tonight, how excited are you tonight, Mike? This is one of my favorite movies. This is going to be one of our best ones ever. We're up in the high 90s of our episode marks, but this is a movie that we have never talked about. We've each seen it a million times because nobody sees this movie once. And what we're going to be talking about is 1998's The Big Lebowski. We finally made it, Mike, to talking about The Big Lebowski. Yeah, we, this is one where we I know that you like The Big Lebowski and I'm a huge fan of this of this movie, but we've we never really discussed yeah, it at all besides, hey, that's a funny moment. And so what brought it on? What the reason we're doing for the show, other than we love the movie so much, is because Mike just got to see it on a big screen for the first time. Now, when this came out in 98, I was telling Mike that I got to see it on a big screen in the middle of the day. It was myself, my wife, and maybe like 10 or other people, you know, in the middle of a day on a Tuesday. And I sat laughing like Robert De Niro in Cape Fear. I couldn't believe how great it was. As soon as he got punched in the face and they played The Man in Me by Bob Dylan, I'm like, okay, this is gonna be, there's no way this this movie can be bad. And I ended up watching it a million times since then. Every once in a while, of course, you know, you allude to it with your friends. But Mike, why don't you talk about how you just saw it on the big screen for the first time? The movie plays into the idea that it's an ironic waste of time. Of course, it's not a waste of time, but it plays into the idea uh, of it being a waste of time. And it's incredible how amplified that is when you see it on the big screen, because I actually saw it in a private party with friends. So I had to rent out the theater. You know, you have to get dressed, drive, get in, buy a snack get something to drink and then spend two hours watching the big Lebowski and the movie continually teases you for continuing to spend time watching this movie. Although of course they make it as funny and amazing and addictive as possible. What, why don't you talk about where did you see it? I saw it at the Alamo draft house in a, in a private showing, which was a fantastic experience just that, being friends. Yeah. That must've been awesome. That must've been awesome. So, you know, it's funny because, um, you know, the, the, the idea about being teased that you're wasting your time, because of course you're, you're not wasting your time because you're experiencing something so beautifully and so, and so perfectly written. But what I was reminded of watching it again for the millionth time was what, I don't know if you ever heard what um, Jerry Garcia said about deadheads. He said, one of the many things he said about deadheads is, um, deadheads are like people that like black licorice. You know, we're like black licorice. Not everybody likes it, but the people that like black licorice really, really like it. And I think that of all the movies we've done, this would be the hardest to convey to somebody you know, why it's so great. Like you can't explain why something's funny anyway, but to explain the, the charm of this movie and charm is one of our favorite words to talk about, it, it might be hard to do. No, and some people some people go a little too far and try to read a life philosophy um, into The Big Lebowski, which it, which I think is too far. But which it makes fun of. I will. T it does. And I will tell you, um, yes, this movie, A, understands its own critics perfectly before it was ever showed. It, it understands its own critics in its in its structure and the things that it does. I will tell you, having seen it recently on the big screen, every single scene is lovingly crafted. The mise en scène for this movie is like, for example, when when they pan in in the bowling alley, there's not like a misplaced cigarette in an right. ashtray. Every single detail of every single shot is put together. And of course, you know, we can talk about more. Uh, we talk more about this at, at the end. But this movie asks a question, which is if, if anything is worth watching, if regular detective films are worth watching, if any of the movies that you consider classic are worth watching, could we put enough effort into something and tell you it's a deliberate waste of time, but make it so worthwhile? And the answer is yes, because when you craft something with that much love 
and that much structure, of course, it's going to be watched and rewatched a thousand times. You know what else is funny was I recently read uh, Inherent Vice by Thomas Pynchon, which I enjoyed. And then I watched the film uh, by Paul Thomas Anderson, and we love him. But I thought the movie really fell flat. I know people think the heresy. And I couldn't shake the feeling. I'm like, this is this is Lebowski. It's the same exact thing. Stoner in the middle of a, of a complicated California you know, um, plot. Well, the, the thing is that this movie, The Big Lebowski, is held in such delicate balance by the other characters who, when you think about them, become necessary. The dude is not a guy with nothing in his head. Donnie is a guy with nothing in his head. And that becomes apparent when set next to the dude. Donnie is, is actually like a child. He is a person with, with nothing going on. The dude has a lot going on, but you don't necessarily get access to it. Uh, and it's it's supposed to be uh, blithe in both senses. It's it's sublime. It's, it's beyond you. You don't necessarily realize what it means for him to be a lefty until he's hanging out with John Goodman, who wants it to be uh, Vietnam and who you know loves the Jewish law because it tells him what to do at, at all times. And so that the dude being a loser isn't funny in itself until he meets a guy who's faux rich. You know, the, right. the dude being right. lowbrow isn't funny until he interacts with Maud. The fact that he doesn't like the Eagles makes sense because he's he's against anything square. You realize who the dude is when Sam Elliott walks on the stage and you think he doesn't belong here. Right. What is he, you know, you, that's when you realize what kind of world you're in is by the inappropriateness of other elements, not by the appropriateness of all the elements that are functioning perfectly. Yeah, and just as Sam Elliott belongs to another time and movie, is so does the dude. The whole joke of him is him wandering around that supermarket where where you know Bush is talking about the evasion of Kuwait on the screen at Ralph's, and that you know the, that the dude's out of you know he says you're out of your element, Donnie. Well, the dude's also out of his element too. By about to, four, by about almost exactly fourteen years. Right, and inherent vice, everyone's in that element, so it it really you know it really doesn't work as well. And it's funny what you said about how the dude's not empty-headed. I for one am still impressed that the dude figures out the whole the whole thing was fake. That the that the actual briefcase had the phone books in it because he figures all that out so there's definitely not, donnie couldn't figure that out if you ask me what do the coen brothers love they love movies have you ever seen them interviewed no they they have the they, they are um they, they're like yeah so then we talked about um how this guy we know would be a good model for the dude i mean they're they're not like you'd expect at all they're very flat affect but but who cares they they they're unbelievably smart and they love movies and i think that this movie is a movie for people that love movies yeah, and I, I have more on that in my moment, so let's go over to part two. All right, I'll see you there. So welcome back in part two. We like to pick our favorite moments, and The Big Lebowski is another one of these movies where you could stop it at any moment, and that'll be a great one. So, Mike, what's your favorite moment of today? My favorite moment of today, or the one that I think is the most indicative, like when you're trying to explain to somebody what's going on in The Big Lebowski, is when uh, Leb Lebowski is in the sheriff's office and he says Jackie Treehorn treats objects like women, man, because he's still he's still loopy from the drugs and he's been knocked out yet again. And what's funny and operative in that line, obviously, is he means the mirror image of that. But you said that the Coen brothers are are guys that love movies. And one of the first times I was watching this, I, I realized that it was the Maltese Falcon, but it's the Maltese Falcon as a film negative. It's the it's made with the exact same attention to the script. It's made uh, with the exact same attention to detail. It's made with all the things that make classic movies great. 
uh, but it's it's turned inside out. It's It's got a hero who knows less as the movie goes on. He's continually getting beaten up, but he's not getting beaten up because he's the detective at the center of the film. He's getting beaten up because he's there. And it's a case of, you know, it's his own case of mistaken identity. Um, there's great, uh, there's great car chases and action scenes, but, uh, but our hero is never, uh, never in control. And so it's, 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 ex- this movie is exactly the, the, the reverse image of a great detective film, um, but turned in uh, on its bones. And like I said, at the beginning, the, the, the premise of the Big Lebowski for me seems to be, what if we dismantled everything about the detective movie, but we paid the same attention to detail and we gave you a character who's, who's equally lovable, but in a different way. He's, he's as, as soft boiled as someone like Sam Spade is hard boiled, but the, the movie operates not because of the tropes that, that make movies operate, but because the attention care and love that makes, that make movies operate. And that's what I love so much about this movie. And you can, you can pick any moment, including when he comes face to face with a private detective, you know, who's, who's trying to chase down Bunny, uh, who mistakes him for a detective playing everybody against the side. And of course we all bust out laughing because the idea that Lebowski is playing anybody against any side is hilarious. Though of course, nothing is what it seems. There is a femme fatale, but of, of course there's, there's a femme fatale who wants to form a kind of family with him as opposed to, you know, even your traditional femme fatale, which is, uh, it's just an incredible movie beginning to end with, with every trope, not just slightly changed, but the opposite, right? The hard boiled dialogue and voiceover that tells you what kind of world you're in instead of, um, you know, something like you get in, instead of the kind of voiceover that you get in something like Double Indemnity, you get Sam Elliott, the squarest of the square, telling you about the character who lives in LA County, who was one of the Seattle Seven. Would you mind not using so many cuss words? And that's, that's what I mean, what, you know, that the, the film understands the voice of its own critics. And so instead of kind of the, the square dialogue that you would get in something like Double Indemnity, these people talk like people talk. They talk over one another. And it's, it's almost like a pastiche of David Mamet. You know, David Mamet uses it to deconstruct kind of the ways that human beings actually communicate with one another. Uh, but it's done so obnoxiously in The Big Lebowski that it's just intended to be funny. Well, that's you said a lot there, and that's great. And I must tell you, you're, the the, high, the highlight of that of that was um, soft boiled. He's not a hard boiled detective. He's very soft boiled. He's a little chubby. He's got a lot of he's got a lot of like soft sweaters on and stuff, and his hair and things like that. So you said so many things that that made me. I was like almost taking notes as you were saying things. Like it's true that um you know it's a you know it's a mirror image of the detective movie, right? Now remember in the Maltese Falcon, Sam Spade does get drugged just in the same way that Jackie Treehorn drugs uh, Lebowski, Cindy Greenstreet drugs. Um, um, Sam Spade drugs Bogart in there. So, and um, but of course, the way that Spade works, and this comes up in the novel, he says the way I work is I like to like throw a monkey wrench into everything. And of course, Spade's whole way of working, and Philip Marlowe's as well in The Big Sleep, is to pretend they know more than they do. So they constantly things like so Sam makes believe he knows what the Falcon is far be- before he learns what it actually is. He, um, you don't know in the movie when he figured out who really killed his partner. And that's what makes him so mysterious. That's why Bogart's so great. But of course the joke here is that, is that Jeff Lebowski doesn't really know anything. And then when he's put on the spot, they're like, he's like, yeah, we'll be right there. We, 
I meant like the royal we, dude. And I meant like, you know, we, no, me, I, me. And when he gets thrown into the back of the limo, which is my favorite scene, it's not my moment, but he has the dude, beverage. there's a beverage. Yeah, dude, there's a beverage. And he, they're trying to make him say, okay, what happened? He's like, you know, like new, like new shit has come to light, man. Like, I, and he can't even get a sentence out. And then later he's like, this case has like many facets. Doesn't he see like many ins, like a lot of ins. A lot of outs. A lot of ins, a lot of outs. So he is the perfect mirror image of those guys who can keep all those things straight in their head. Where we did our one shot on the shield, right? We were laughing about how much Vic Mackey has to keep in his head at, about every single person in his life and who knows what and all of his past. But here, you know, Jeff Lebowski can barely keep from one thing to the next. My moment is very, very close to here. So my moment is when they go to the mortuary and they go to find the um, receptacle for Donnie if Donnie has his heart attack. And they're sitting there and there's that great bit where, where the guy's trying to sell them. And this leapt out at me and I thought, oh my, this is my moment. I can't believe it. And it's the moment where they're going through, um, they, they give Walt, he gives Walter the portfolio of how much everything's going to cost. And Walter takes off his glasses, <laughs> he looks at it and he gives it back to him. He says, um, what is this? What is this here? And he goes, well, those are the charges. And he says, $160 or whatever. And he says, well, they go up to 3000 That's our that's our most affordable receptacle. Modestly priced. Modestly priced. Right? I'm sorry. Yeah, thank you. That is our most modestly priced. See, nobody watches this once. That is our most modestly priced receptacle. And, and the dude says, well, don't you have something like we could just borrow to hold them in? And he says, sir, this is a mortuary, not a lending house. What does that remind you of in what great detective movie? It's when... Jake is in the Hall of Records in Chinatown and asks if he can have more of the books because he's trying to find out who owns the rights to the land. And that, that snotty guy played by Alan Womack sa says, um, sir, this is not a lending library. It's the Hall of Records. And it's said in the same tone. And Jack Nicholson says like weasel. It's the same tone, right? Same. I mean, sir, this is not a lending library. It's the Hall of Records. Sir, this is a mortuary, not a, len not a le lending house. So it's so funny how those two lines are exactly the same way, said in the same smarmy tone where, and, I'm, and, and as soon as he said that, I was thinking the same things of how it's another movie movie about the corrupt in California, where you have this person, right? Uh, Raymond Chandler said, down these mean streets, a man must go who himself is not mean. And, you know, uh, Philip Marlowe is going to be the great knight. And of course, well, who goes down these streets? Like the dude. <laughs> and he's out there abiding it for the dude abides for all of us. So another, another uh, homage that you could tell how much they've watched and loved detective movies and how much they've internalized them. Okay, you know how this works in part three. We're talking about the ending, the title, which is obvious, or our, our big takeaways. Dan, what's your big takeaway? So my big takeaway, again, is this is a movie to be loved. It's a movie to watch over and over and over, like all of your favorite movies. I think before when you mentioned Sam Elliott as the perfect square narrator, as, a, as the photo negative, unlike Double Indemnity, I think that's great. I mean, he wanders in from another movie. It's like he walked off the set of a Western and into this movie. And again, that's why they thought it was funny was how incongruous it is. If you had um, a regular bowler, if you had Donnie or Walter as the guy that's got to navigate the plot of this thing, it's not as funny. The whole joke is have a stoner who doesn't really understand what's going on from a moment to moment and have him be at the middle of this kidnapping. Right. Um, so I think when Sam Elliott comes in, it's like he wanders in from another movie that the voiceover comes from another movie, even the music in the beginning with the tumbling tumbleweeds. And you see, I mean, that's Jeff Lebowski. He is a, he is a human tumbleweed just rolling around. And I think what you said before deserves uh, revisiting, which is that you can read all kinds of great philosophies in this the way people do for all kinds of things. But I mean, um, I think that I think it, it makes fun of your attempts to do so because everyone in the movie's got a point of view. 
right? Except like, you know, Julian Moore is like the, the strong, uh, you know, feminist, you know, does the word vagina upset you and all those things or my work is very, what did she say? Some critics have called my have described it as highly vaginal. <laughs> yes, right. Um, and, uh, you know, um, there's there's John Goodman, obviously, he's at all roads lead back to Vietnam. Donnie's Donnie's way he of life. He loves the law and the prophets. He yes, has, it's know. absolutely right. Right. I don't roll. I don't roll on Shabbos. Um, 3,000 years of beautiful tradition from Moses to Sandy Kopax. You're going to be right. I'm living in the past. Over the line. You mark that as a zero. But um, Donnie, of course, his philosophy of life is. Yeah, exactly. Mike shrugging. You just walk into a room. Yeah, they, you, dude, he's got the same name as you, dude. And you know, and the, like oh, a little child. <laughs> Donnie, Donnie, did, did you hear the dude's story, Donnie? No, I was bowling. Then you have no frame of reference. <laughs> so, and so everyone and and it's Jesus, out of their and, element. Everyone yeah. is out of their elements. But the dude's philosophy at the end, you know, the, with Sam Elliott, says, I like your style, dude. And he abides. He's out there taking it easy for all of us. I mean, you could say, oh, he looks like Jesus, and he has sandals. But then there's another Jesus, you know, in the movie. Just like there's two. Lebowski's you can do this all day and maybe 30 years ago I would have had fun doing that but now I think that the movie just like the plot of the movie makes fun of your attempts to unravel it like you don't really care whose toe it is and you don't really care how do the Germans figure this out and you know it, it's a ringer for a ringer none of that matters and they love the fact that none of that matters because um, one of the fun things about the extras I watched there's an interview with the two guys and they say we had to be much more careful with the plot in Miller's Crossing and I think that's true because that plot, that is a perfect, you know, grandfather clock of a million cogs. This one is much more like the big sleep where it's a lot more loose. No, this is really just like um, if you've ever gone through old papers and found an old love letter. This is what this that movie is. It's just an it's just an old love letter. It doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't really mean the same thing as it did when it was constructed, but the fact that it is so lovingly constructed is what holds it together over time. Yeah. And he, and he is, you know, some, there's a, he is a man for his time and he looks in that time magazine mirror and says, you know, he's the man of the year. And he, and he, he certainly is a man for all times. He's a man. He is like Robert Bolt wrote about Thomas Moore. The dude a is man a man for, for all, all seasons. seasons. Or how funny is the part with, with Ben Gazzara when he's, when he's, you know, when he goes, when he runs off the couch to try to get the phone number. No, it's, it's, it's so perfect. It's actually, I almost feel like it's a little too on the nose because that's where the whole analysis comes from, you know, that it's a detective movie. Because of course, where did you learn to do that? Detective movies. <laughs> detective movies. And instead of the secret information that you're looking for, or the address <laughs> where he's going or the, you know, the secret name, which is the clue to everything, it's the stick figure with the penis. And that's like, that's what this film is telling you to do. This film says, analyze me. I dare you. I double dog dare you. But all there is at the bottom is the is the stick figure of the penis. It's just the, a joke. It's just yeah. the amusement. And it's one of the funniest jokes in the movie. I mean, that is so great when he does that. Because it is it is a reveal. It's it's a defiance of expectation. And you wouldn't have the expectation to be defied unless you liked and had seen the same kinds of movies that the Coen brothers had. And so what you actually find out, what's revealed on the pad when you're laughing, when it's not an address, is hey, you might think I'm kind of odd for having written this movie, but you're my kind of people. That's what the pad says. So thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you've enjoyed our conversation about The Big Lebowski. You could follow us on Twitter at 15MINFILM. You could email us at 15MinuteFilm. That's spelled out 15MinuteFilm at gmail.com. Let us know what you want to see. If you have not seen this movie, do yourself a favor. Just take 90 minutes, rent it, watch it, consider it your self-care for the week. See you later.